Well, you guys ready to hear the word of God this morning? Yeah. Amen. Um, We've been talking about this is mini church month where we're really pushing mini church. And again, I don't want you to think that, uh, I, I'm just careful about this because I don't want to go to churches where they say like they've come up with the one and only plan for something in life. Here's what we're saying is mini church is a tool that we've found in our life that helps us to live the Christian life good and with with people and to grow and to thrive, it's a great tool. It's not the one and only way. We haven't locked onto something that isn't, you know, like it's better than the Bible, you're better than the other churches. It's not that at all. We're saying we believe in mini church so much because it's built our church. It's built true disciples of church. It's getting us into relationships with one another. It's it's empowering and equipping us to live the Christian life. So we're talking about mini church this month. And um, we talked about the power of mini church kind of helps re uh, refocus us during the middle of the week to get our eyes on kingdom purposes above all else. That was the first week. The second week, we talked about the importance of you guys remember iron sharpens iron. Have you guys been practicing that? I hope. Anybody? Trying to get involved in godly relationships, trying to make sure you got people that really got your back and are like kind of keeping you pointed in the right direction. Well, um, this week, we're going to talk about the importance of the word of God and how even in mini church, it kind of just focuses us back on the word of God in the middle of a busy week. But I wanted to show you guys another video testimony of the power of, of connecting in a, in a mini church. And so uh, my friends uh, Lono and Jensi have uh, been coming to the church for like about a year now. And they've ex just experienced all kind of life change and blessing through what mini church has to offer. So you guys ready to hear their testimony? Got a video? Okay. Check out the screen real quick. Hi, my name is Lono. This is my wife, Jensi. Hope Chapway Mini Church has changed our lives. Mini Church, oh, we grew a lot in Mini Church. Well, I did. I grew a lot. From where I was before to now, my notes has grown way better. And uh, I, I'm able to follow and write. I, I always dig in my word. That's, that's one thing that I do a lot. Before, he would never read a book. He wouldn't even sit with the kids and do homework with them. And now, I mean, he actually makes time to go through his notes, read his Bible, but every single night he reads. Yeah, this There's is not the most books I ever read. I never ever read this many books ever. You wouldn't even catch him writing notes. <laughs> you wouldn't, he wouldn't even write a note for our kids if they were tardy for school. But now he actually <laughs> writes notes you know, on paper, it all away. he writes notes in his iPad, and he actually goes through it, which is crazy because he's totally different from who he used to be. You know, from actually not knowing anybody, you know, going to mini church, I was scared in the beginning, even though that I knew, you know, where we was going. I knew the home. I knew the people that lived there for years. I don't know. I was still scared to go because I didn't know everybody else. But when we got there and the welcome that we got was, you know, was, you can't explain. It was, was, was awesome. Just love, a lot of love. Yeah. Mini church, I love my mini church. Each and every person. They really play a big role in my life as well as his. When you expect family to be there, they were really there for us. I mean, through thick and thin, carrying our, you know, our complaints or 
just hearing our prayer requests or our praise reports, they stuck by our side even to this day. And we owe our hearts to them because our families really weren't there for us. They were. Sometimes going to church on Friday nights, Saturday nights, Sunday mornings is not enough. You still need the word in the middle of the week to get you to keep that word flowing through you for the rest of the week. You just need that. You can't just think that, oh, I'm going to go to church on Sunday or Friday and I should be good for the rest of the week. It's not. You're not. You need to come together as a mini church and talk about what you're going through. Talk about what you need prayer for. Talk about hearing the word. You know, taking more notes. Because not every time you can catch everything that's said. And, you know, if you want more of the word, then you just go back online and watch it again and watch it again until you get all the notes that you want or you have and you need. She said it all. The importance of the Word of God. You know, in the, in the video testament, it's funny, he makes a big deal about notes, but it's what's motivating him to take notes, right? He says he's in his Word, digging in it every single day. And I know this. I know that couple. They're our good friends. And uh, the Word of God has changed their life. And uh, the fact that he wouldn't write notes, nothing mo no motivated him to take notes before. And maybe you're someone like that, like, ah, oh, I struggle with writing. I talked to someone this morning and goes, I kind of struggle with dyslexia a little bit. I'm like that. I can relate to that. But that was so freeing to know that, like, God can still work in me and he can push me beyond where I see myself. But it's that the Word of God is alive and well in their lives. It's changed their lives through the mini church and everything. But really, the basis is the Word of God. This morning, we're talking about being doers and not just hearers. And the whole premise for today's sermon is the fact that we have the Bible and we have the instructions of, of God, the teachings of God, hearing a sermon, um, reading stuff in the Word, Him speaking into your life. When God speaks and He's trying to give you direction, uh, a lot of us will acknowledge, hey, that's good, that's from God, that makes me feel good. But what God is looking for is us taking the next step into actually living it out in our lives because Christianity as a religion, as a study, is useless unless it becomes a lifestyle, right? It doesn't do anything to read your Bible until you actually live the Bible in your life. It's just like we're just studying, and that's great, and it stays up here, and it's cerebral. So we're talking about this morning um, actually becoming doers of the Word of God, not just hearers of it, listeners, readers of it. Um, I'm going to be reading a couple of verses out of James, first chapter of James this morning. James, the guy James that's writing this book, in case you're opening your Bibles, the book of James. The guy writing this book, James, is um, Jesus' actual brother, one of his brothers here on earth. And he wasn't even a believer or a follower of Jesus Christ until after the resurrection when he went, whoa, that guy, my brother, that's a real deal. He's going around saying all this stuff. He's the son of God. That guy's a weirdo, right? It says in places in scripture that his brothers didn't see eye to eye. They didn't believe in Jesus. Jesus walking around saying he's the Messiah. They're like, what's wrong with our brother, you know? And then he does the whole deal, mission accomplished. And they're just like, whoa, you are the son of God. And so James, Jesus' brother, actually became a, a, a pillar, a founding leader of the early church, like in the book of Acts in the town of Jerusalem. And so he's a leader. And here's what happened. After Jesus came to earth, died, resurrected, ascended back up into heaven, the church got started in Jerusalem. It was banging. It was huge. It was like multi, it was just a, a gigantic church. It was a mega church, right, in Jerusalem. And then persecution came. 
the, the Roman governor, everybody started coming in, and the, uh, the, the Jews and the Pharisees, and everybody was against this new Christian thing. They're like, what about the old religion? And, and you're, you're shaking up the world. So persecution came. In fact, we read about the apostle Paul when he was called Saul. He was, he was having Christians thrown in jail and killed and all this. Persecution comes to the town of Jerusalem where there's thousands of Christians now. The Christians get scared, and so they scatter into all the parts of the world surrounding. So now you got these people who are Christians who knew God and his family and his community, and now they're out living amongst all these people that are kind of still in spiritual darkness that don't know God, which is really kind of like what we're trying to be as a church, right? We're not trying to be all focused and stuck here in the four walls of the church. We're trying to be hope in the world this year, right? We're trying to go out there in the community and be Christians out there. So James writes this letter to all of those that are out there living in the, the Gentile, which is another word for you're not Jewish, you know, um, living in the Gentile world outside. And he writes this book, and it's basically letters to encourage Christians, here's how to live, here's godly behavior, here's how to keep your faith and to live it as you're out there amongst everybody else. And so some of the coaching tips he says has to do with this. One of the things he says today is about stick to the word of God, stick to what you know, and live it out. Don't just talk about it, don't just study it, don't just read it, don't just hear it, but live it. So James 1.22 is where I want to start this morning. And I got three different versions. You know that there's all different Bible translations, you know? Uh, some were written a long time, about 1600, the King James Version. So it's, that's why it talks like in Shakespearean English, the these and the thous. And then they've come along and over time, they've studied it and tried to keep the same exact proper meaning, but they brought it down into modern translation. Like we use the New Living Translation where it's kind of like easy to understand and yet doesn't lose any of the power of what it was written in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and all of that. So different translations. So, I wanted to read this to you in three different translations because it's just interesting. I really want you to get the point. The New King James Version of James 1.22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, we realize that the Christian life isn't about reading the Bible. The Christian life is about living the Bible, right? So the New Living Translation, which is kind of the main one we, we use around here at Hope Chapel, the New Living Translation says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. And then the message version of the Bible, which is really broken down into real plain English, Eugene Peterson wrote this version of it. It says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but, letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. The main point of today's message is that we would be Christians that are living out the instruction of the word of God, not just talking about it or hearing it or, or studying it even. Um, you gotta actually get in the game before you really understand what's going on. I had a friend in Bible college. I went to Bible college however long ago, years ago, and it was in California. And I was about on my third year, third or fourth year of Bible college, so been around there a while, junior or senior or something, and uh, a new kid came, freshman. And my friend and I from Hawaii had moved up together and gotten to Bible college together. So everybody kind of knew us. It was a small Bible college, like 500 kids or less. It was small. Um, everybody knew each other, and everybody could tell, like, oh, those are the kids from Oregon. Those are the kids from whatever, right? And so we were known as the Hawaiians, right, because we came from Hawaii. So I have no Hawaiian ethnicity, just the fact that I'm from here. So we were up there, and we kind of had our own style. Like, we would, you know, weekends come, we go straight to the beach, and we're surfing, and we're, we dress the way we dress, and whatever. And there was a, a kid that came, a, a freshman kid, and he kind of looked like us. He had a tan, and he kind of had, like, our hairstyles and our dress, and we're thinking, oh, maybe he surfs too. Maybe we'll go get to know this guy. He's kind of like us. And it turns out 
he wasn't. He had a tan because he would go to the pool all the time, wherever he was from, right, in, in somewhere in California. And we thought he surfed, and he was, like, interested in our clothes and way of life and surfer magazines and everything, but he had never actually even been in the ocean, okay? This is, like, weird to us. We're like, what? Where? You live in California. It's not that far, you know, to go to the ocean. But um, he goes, yeah, so take me surfing, guys. I want to surf with you. And we're like, Okay, well, this, this kid's never been in the ocean. Like, okay, we're going to take it real slow. We're going to get you a longboard and all that. He goes, nah, nah, I've seen all the magazines. I, I could ride a shortboard. I'm like, you, you've never even been in the ocean. You can't just jump straight to a short. Nah, I'm athletic, right? How many of you guys use that excuse when you're about to do something dumb that you know you can't do, right? <laughs> oh, I'm athletic. I can handle. Like, I'm middle-aged, and I did that back when I was, like, 16. But, oh, I'm athletic. I can pull it, right? So he says this, and we're like, uh, probably not. But... Um, he goes, yeah, no, I can go. And, and we're like, yeah, but, you know, are you good in the water? Are you safe? We don't want to drown you in all this. Like, no, I'm, I'm a lifeguard at my local pool. Oh, sorry. Yeah, like, <laughs> okay, you're a lifeguard. So we take him, and sure enough, we take him out there for half an hour, and he just gets worked. He almost drowns. He's like, oh, it's so different than the pool. I'm like, you think, you know? They're like, water is moving. Those things are coming. I'm like, yeah, they're called waves. <laughs> You've never seen that in your pool before, you know? And um, he goes, I was so big, and I was almost dying. And we're like, this is such a small day. This is nothing. You know, but, but the lesson that I kind of learned was you can look like a surfer, and you can talk, and you can read the magazines and learn about stuff and say, I could go do that. But until you actually get in there, it doesn't really it doesn't count for anything, right? And then the, so it was kind of a shock to him. But then a couple weeks later, he'd gone surfing more. And I remember he came back to the school, and he's like, oh, I caught my first wave. Such a good feeling, so amazing, so awesome. And I'm, and I'm like, again, you never really knew how cool it was or how scary or whatever because you never actually got in the game. You just were living on the surface level. You heard about it. You lived it. You might dress the part and all of that, but it doesn't mean anything. And here's the thing that we're talking about today. Christianity will mean nothing to you if all you've done is heard about it and read about it. And, and that goes for a lot of us that actually are sitting in church for months, maybe even years, maybe even reading your Bible every day. God, I clock in and I do my daily devotion, I read the Bible. Until you actually put that into practice, you will never get the best life possible. It will be, never be of any benefit to you. And furthermore, it will never benefit any of your friends or family, what God's trying to do in you and through you to them. And so we got to be people that are doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. But before we can be the doers of the word and really let it sink in and change our lives, there's a couple things I wrote down. And look in your notes, the first thing I wrote down in terms that I can apply to is empty the rubbish. How many of you guys growing up in your house, it was your chore, your job to empty the rubbish? Anybody? That was you? You were like the, the trash person in your house? Sorry, trash, rubbish, refuse, opala. Whatever, right? <laughs> trying to give you options or whatever. The stinky stuff in your house that builds up, and your job was to take that stuff out, right? And you had to get that out of the house. Um, that was my job, and it's unfortunately still my job. I had kids, and somehow it's still my job. I'm like, wait, aren't you guys good for something? You're supposed to be my slaves, aren't you? Like, what? <laughs> they don't do it, so dad still has to do it. But empty the trash. Before we can get the word of God into us so that it's living and active and changing our lives. One of the things we got to deal with, and, and it's not just the prerequisite, but it kind of still continues to happen in our lives, is we got to get rid of the junk that's kind of in the way of God getting into our lives. Amen? Amen. And sometimes we don't see it, but 
there's stuff that's there, and it, cl- it clogs up our life, it clogs up our minds, our hearts. Um, anybody ever watch the show Hoarders? You know what I'm talking about, right? Hoarders, or then the other channel tried to copy them because that was such a popular show, so they call it Buried Alive or something like that. Either way, it's disgusting, right? It's gnarly. It's people living with stuff in their house where they can barely open the door to their house to get to, from room to room. They have to literally climb on stuff. You can't even see the, the floor in there anymore. There's, there's just gross stuff that's piled up in their house or their yard. They, um, they can't get in certain rooms of their house. It's so bad that there's, there's stuff like neglected so much that people's uh, bathrooms get filled up with all the stuff that they're hoarding or the plumbing goes down and they don't do anything to fix it. So you got people like in, in cold places in, in the mainland just showering outside every day in the freezing cold because they can't use the indoor shower because it's all, you know, hoarded stuff up. The bathrooms break. I don't know if you guys have saw this one. They're really gross. The toilet breaks. They don't fix it. So what they do is they just start buying adult diapers and using that every day. And then because they're hoarders, they save the diapers too. And so the whole bathroom is filled with old Plastic bags tied up with diapers. Or then it's like, whoa, the bathroom doesn't fit anymore. I mean, this is a show I've seen. Anybody seen this one? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's real. The whole other bedroom filled to the ceiling with old discarded adult diapers full. And you're just like, how can you possibly do this? See, here's the thing. We have this problem in our own lives, and it never starts out one day. It's not like that. those people decided, like, you know what, tomorrow I can't wait. I got a day off. I'm just going to go fill my house with rubbish, and I'm going to be the stinkiest kid on the block. That's going to be awesome, right? No one wants to like, decide, like, let's just ruin my house and take up all the space with all the useless stuff I've collected. What happens is, real subtle, it's one day you start going, I, I think I'm going to start collecting those. And you start adding to it, and you start going, you know, I'm going I'm to add some more of this. And I've seen on the show, people, original intent is like, I'm going to recycle bottles and cans or whatever. And they wash them out, and they keep them. Then they don't ever recycle them. They just keep them. And then they add something else, and they add something else. And then slowly over time, you just, you can't live. It's chaos. It causes anxiety. You can't get to your stuff. You can't make the most of your house and all this. It's like that in our lives, though. It starts with something small. Like, you know what? I don't like the way that guy ripped me off or whatever. Instead of getting over it, you log it, and you bring it in to your mind, and you hold on to it. And suddenly, you got a little bit of a grudge. You got a little bit of bitterness. You never deal with that. You never clean it out. That thing grows. And then you start letting other ones like that. And I don't like that guy either. Boom. And you start adding that to your life. And then there's little things like, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty much a good person, but I've got this little vice on the side. It's minor. I got control over it. And you kind of let that one in. And there may be a little bit of unforgiveness here, a little bit of temptation there, a little bit of like, you know what? Um, I know what my friends all tell me, but I got my own opinion. And you start making your own opinions and beliefs. You let fear and doubt. You let lies spoken over you come in. You believe stuff about you that you know shouldn't be there, but you let it in. And what happens? Over time, you become this hoarder of things that are no good for you. And the word of God comes along and says, shines a light on your situation and says, hey, here's what's good. Here's the best life possible. Why don't you let this in? And you're going, ah, I don't have room for it. I don't really have too much room for it. So I believe the first process we have to, to, to take is the emptying of the rubbish. James uh, chapter 1, verse 19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not, does not um, produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And we're going to stop right there. He's real, really clearly saying, hey, before you want all the good stuff, things like anger, you probably need to get rid of. 
Make some room for God to get in there. Hey, you want God to bless your life and to lead you forward and you can be living the life of a Christian? Uh, you need to let some of this stuff go. Get rid of the filth and evil in your lives. Then it may be slow growth that's built up over time, but either way, it's bad for you. Hebrews 12.1 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. God wants us to run this life, to run it as fast as we possibly can, to be blessed, to run in victory. And yet we've got all these, like, this weight, this hindrances on us, this stuff that's just like dragging us down. Pete, uh, James is saying, get rid of all that junk in your life. Get rid of all that stuff that you've hoarded. Take off all the stuff that's slowing you down from running this race. You gotta empty the rubbish. And there's, there's four things that I want you to write down about emptying the rubbish because I think it's kind of a process. Um, I think it's kind of a process that you, we don't just one day decide like, oh yeah, I got bad stuff. Oh, just get rid of it. I think that it, it, it takes work because sometimes the stuff that you got in your life that you've been hoarding, the junk that's built up, it's built up slowly over time and you gotta like take the same process to get rid of it sometimes. So here's four things I want you to write down about emptying the rubbish in your life and they all start with R because that's how I think, right? I'm trying to be like, make it easy to remember. So four things that start with R and how to empty the rubbish in your life. Number one is realize. Number one is realize. What does that mean? It means identify and acknowledge all of the junk in your life. What are the things that you believe that deep down you know are wrong, but you've just held on to them for so long? You know the kind of things that you say, well, I do this because this is how I've always done it. And yet you know that God's going, but that's not the best way to do it. Yeah, but it's, it's just there, right? Or it's the wrong, wrong beliefs about other people. It may be unforgiveness towards people. You know, unforgiveness is such a terrible thing. It's such a, such a good trick that the enemy does to us to ruin our lives. It's the fact that we can't let go of hurts that other people have put on us and they just continue to destroy us by us holding onto it and letting it beat us up all the time. When really all we have to do is say, I'm not gonna let you off the hook and say what you did was right or that it was good, but I'm gonna choose to have freedom from the feeling of being hurt from you any longer. You're not justifying that what they did was right. You're just saying that person could still be wrong, still be offensive, still done that horrendous thing to me, but I'm not gonna let it deal with me anymore. I'm gonna take away the power of that. You know, the whole unforgiveness thing is you drink poison and you hope they die. They, they don't even know that they're still hurting you, but every single day you're letting them hurt you. And so we gotta, there's some of the rubbish in our lives. A lot of us, that's one of the main things in our lives is we've been hurt before, we've been mad before, and we gotta just get over it and start fresh and start new and let them be as lame as they wanna be but they're not gonna control us anymore. And we're gonna remove ourselves from that situation. So maybe there's a thing is you gotta realize that's actually going on in my life. There's actually fears I have. There's actually wrong beliefs I have. There's, there's things that are hurting me. In other words, the word realize is when you walk into that house and you go, what stinks in here? right? You walk into that hoarder's house. I've seen the, the show with the diapers, right? And the, the psychologist comes along to counsel that person. And like, yeah, I'll invite you into my house. And they're like, oh, can't even get the door open. The psychologist comes in there. I want to start counseling you about the, oh my gosh, what does that smell? And the, you know what the person says? What smell? Yeah. What are you talking about? They've lived with it for so long that there's a whole bedroom full of dirty adult diapers there. And they're like, what are you talking about, right? And everybody else smells it. First step is realize it. what stinks in my life. What is the stuff that is tripping me up and I can't ever seem to get over? What do I need to deal with? So it's realizing, acknowledging, identifying that. The second R word, repent. 
And this is when you actually go, okay, there's the ugly thing. I better do something about it. Repent has to do with confessing those things to God, asking for forgiveness from him, and getting to the point where you can forgive other people. It's, this is the part where you actually empty the rubbish. Man, that thing stinks. Do something about that. Get that thing. Bag it up. Take the, the trash. Take the rubbish. Get it out there. Get rid of it. And again, I don't want you to think that's as simple as like, oh, repent, just like that. I understand that some of these things in our lives have taken years and years and years to build up to get to where they're at. And so sometimes they take a long process of getting rid of. And you know what's good about that is God's grace is sufficient for you in that as well. That he doesn't expect that you're gonna be perfectly set free and have awesome, perfect forgiveness and, and all that stuff. But the process is realizing it and then doing something about it. And you may not get it all done, but step by step, day by day, you start clearing out one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. At least you're walking in that direction, right? At least you're being proactive and you start to get rid of that stuff. So we realize that, we repent it from it, and we took the trash out. Here's the third thing. I think you gotta renounce it. The word renounce means to refuse to recognize or abide by any longer. You renounce that stuff. In fact, you rebuke it as well. It means you speak against that stuff. It's like in scripture when you actually take a stand. Like you've already taken the trash out, but then it's like, and I actually refuse to let that build up in my life any longer. I'm gonna take a stand against that. I'm gonna speak against that stuff. I refuse to let that thing come back in my life. It's like in scripture where um, the woman caught in adultery, right? She came and all these people were accusing her. Jesus shows up and he's super cool and loving and forgiving. And he goes, I don't condemn you either. Just, you know what, here's what you do. Go and sin no more. You speak to that thing and say, I'm not allowing that stuff back into my life anymore. It's like preventative men medicine is you buy the trash bags because you know you're not going to let that stuff build up again. If it starts to build up, you're going to put it in the bag and you're going to take it out again. Is that you actually have to kind of renounce. You speak to that stuff. You rebuke it. No, I'm not letting this happen in my life anymore. Remember when Peter in scripture started talking to Jesus? Jesus was saying, hey, you know what? Um, I, I got to die. I got to go get... I got to go suffer. I'm going to die for you. In three days, I'll be, I'll be raised again. And he starts talking about his own death. And Peter gets all bummed because he loves Jesus. And he goes, no, Jesus, Lord, don't talk like that. We don't want to hear any negative thoughts. Don't talk about death. And what, is, what does Jesus do to him? He rebukes him. He renounces him, right? Not specifically to Peter, but he comes in there. And remember what name he calls Peter? He goes, Peter, get behind me, Satan, right? And Peter's like, oh, wow. I'm just trying to say I love you. And you know, you call me the devil? Like, wow, right? But really what Jesus was doing is he goes, no, that's wrong. That's a lie. I'm going to renounce that lie. I'm going to speak against that lie. We're not going to allow that lie to come into our presence. You know what's awesome about mini church? You go to mini church and you start venting. You start sharing. You talk, start bringing up the rubbish in your life. Oh, someone said I'm useless today. And I'm just, I'm hurt by that. And maybe I am. I'm good for nothing. And you know what mini church does? Your brothers and sisters in mini church, if they're good enough friends, will come and they'll get in your face and they will renounce that lie. You know what? Stop that, Carl. Shut up. That is wrong. God loves you. God created you for a purpose. Stop believing that. I love mini church because then I don't even have to be responsible for it on my own. I got friends that can renounce and rebuke the wrong stuff that's going into my life. Isn't that good? That's why, again, the iron sharpens iron. Sometimes you get the blinders on. You don't see it yourself right? And so it takes someone else to come alongside. But I believe you have to renounce that. You know where I, I do all my renouncing and rebuking? In the shower. <laughs> I literally do. The shower to me has become my sanctuary where I meet with God. I and mean, I've said this before, like if I'm preparing a sermon or whatever, and I'm just like stuck and I'm like, oh God, I want to speak. I want to I say good things to the church today. And, and then it's like, oh, I better go take a shower. <laughs> 
Connie's like, wait, it's the middle of the day. What are you doing? Like, I don't know. I just got to go take a shower, right? Because when I go in the shower, it's like I meet with God. And it's my time to like just block out, let the water come, the noise, and all the kids and everybody else is out there. And it's, and it's become my like personal prayer closet or whatever, right? So I'm a real clean guy, just to let you know. <laughs> I'm always in there. But so I get in the, in the shower. And this is where every day, check this out, every morning, this is where I renounce and I rebuke. Because see, I know, like, God, I repent of all the stuff in my life and whatnot, but it starts to creep back in, right? It starts to, the lies come and the things come. And so when I get in the shower, that's my place. Or, Lord, it, you know, I'm not sit speaking out loud in the shower so everybody can hear me. Dad, you okay in there? Like, no, but I'm just praying. I'm just like, God, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. I renounce the lies of this and me believing this and thinking this about you or about other people or about myself. I, I just rebuke that stuff in Jesus' name. I don't want any of that stuff in my life. I'm going to go live my life today, and I'm just going to get the trash bags ready, and they're, they're out of here. I think that it's more than just repenting. You actually kind of have to take a spiritual stand and tell that stuff, done, I'm over it. You're not coming back in my life anymore. And then here's a fourth thing after renouncing is repeat. You're going to have to deal with this stuff every single day. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. We deal with the sinful nature. We have Jesus. But the reason we have him is that so we can be dependent on him every day. What Lono said in that video was, I need to dig, dig into my word every single day. I need to hear the words of God and let them penetrate me. And so there's a constant getting rid of the old stuff and bringing in the good stuff every single day. But you always got to do that because there's always a potential for new sin to build up in our lives. So we empty the rubbish. But here's the next thing we do. You fill up with Supreme. How many of you guys put only Supreme in your cars to take care of it, right? Because you've been taught that way. That's me, right? So when I was a little kid, nowadays the ga gas is all kind of watered down with the ethanol and you know 10% alcohol and all that anyway. But back in the day, there was a major difference between putting regular and supreme, right? Like, oh, I always go to Chevron. Oh, Chevron is the best gas, right? And what we've been told and what the manufacturers of the cars and everybody says is, is no, actually, supreme is actually the best for your engine. And you'll get better mileage and horsepower and all that. And me, I, I believe that stuff, right? Because I'm in the cars and take caring, taking care of stuff. So I'm always like, oh, I put in um, supreme today. Yeah, I can feel it. Vroom, vroom, you know, like, I got more horsepower now. You know, like in my head or something, I'm like, oh, yeah, my mileage went, went farther. You know, I took a, yeah, it lasts longer because I put Supreme. Like, yep, I'm taking care of my edge. I just, I feel like it gives me peace of mind knowing I put the absolute best I can into my vehicle, right? And they say that you should always keep it kind of full. Don't let it go like below quarter tank because sediment and rust in the tank and all that. Keep it kind of full because that's running good all the time, too. So I, I apply that to my life and I apply that to like if I want the best for my life, you know what I, I kind of decided on is there's no substitute for the word of God in my life. If I want supreme, if I want the best, if I want my life running the best it can be, run that race with endurance, fill up on the word of God. Don't, don't settle for second guessing opinions and human logic and all of that. Go straight to the source. James 1.21 says, the second part of that verse, after it said, get rid of the filth and evil, it said, humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. You want the power to save your soul? Go right to the source. Get the best stuff. Don't settle for any cheap imitation. My, my friend back in high school, I remember he was the first in our group to get a car. He got a car one day. I think it was for free. It was an old beater, but it ran. It went. It was good. He was excited. We were excited. He gets to drive the car. We get to have free rides in the car. So everyone's, yeah, you got a car. He picks up the car in Kanyoi. We jump in the car. We're like, yeah, we can go anywhere now. Awesome. Beach, movies. What are you? Yeah, fired up, right? 
he drives from Kanioi to my house, and he goes, oh, on the way, it doesn't have any gas in the tank. We better fill up. So we go, the first fill up, right? We're like, yeah, proud, filling up the car. We go, fill up the tank, and like stoked. Drive it to my house, which is like a couple blocks away. We only get like a block, block and a half away before it's like, just stops, right? Turn the battery over. The battery works. It just doesn't start. What's going on? So we pop the hood, start looking at it, but we're like 15. We don't know what we're looking at. We're just like, <laughs> right? Is it, you think it's that? I don't know. What is that? I don't know. But you got a screwdriver? Like, oh, let's try something. We don't know what we're doing, right? So after a while of just kind of like pretending like we know what we're doing, I'm, I'm thinking and I go, um, what could it be? You know, like um, this car's a Mercedes. And I start thinking, Oh, my, my mom had a Mercedes before. A lot of Mercedes are diesels. Oh, we just filled up with gas, regular gasoline. And basically, we just ruined the whole engine, right? Like, we put gas inside a diesel engine. And it just doesn't. And I've heard that you can, like, drain the whole system and do all this. And you got to readjust all that. But at 15 years old, you know what you do? You throw away the car. There's nothing you can do, right? It's a piece of junk. You just killed the whole engine, the whole fuel line, everything done. And I learned a lesson that day is don't ever settle for anything better than, you know, don't settle for second best. Don't settle for anything except the true source. And if you want the best wisdom and advice and direction and leading for your life, go straight to the word of God. Fill up on supreme. Don't listen to, because I, I, I like to look online and I read books and I read authors and I, I think, man, there's some smart people out there in the business world, in the practical living thing, and in, in relationships, and there's articles in the paper or in magazines or newspapers or whatever. And you're like, this guy's blog site, man, he's full of such wisdom. But you know what? Ultimately, the word of God is the absolute best thing for your life that's out there. And in every other area, somebody's going to fall short. And the word of God has everything that you need. So we go to the word of God. There's no substitute for his word. Um, that's why at Mini Church, our focus has got to be on the word of God, not just on good opinions given to other people and loving comments and stuff. That's good. But make sure that they're all based on God's word. Amen? Here's what Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says. The joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. I watched my friend Lono that was in the video. I've watched his life as he's become a Christian, and he started digging in the word of God. His, his wife, Jensi, says, you know what, before... Lona would come home, TV would go on after work, and that, that would be how it was until bedtime. No time for anything else, he would just watch TV. She goes, it's so weird now because the TV never goes on. He comes home, he digs in his word. He's taking notes on his word, on his notes, on his iPad, whatever. He's trying to get him into himself. He's filling up on the word of God every day. And then it's spilling over, and now here's what we're seeing in life. As it says, they prosper and they, in all that they do. Now I'm watching, let alone his family is watching, his friends are watching, that what came from him filling up on the word of God is he's, his relationships with his family has gotten better. The decisions he's making in life has gotten better. The uh, job, the career that he has has gotten better. The fact that they were trying to get a house for forever because now God and using wisdom and knowing God's family, they have a house. They live right across the street from people in his mini church and just being blessed in everything he does. Why? Because he goes, oh, I'm in the word every day. TV doesn't go on. I'm into the word of God and I'm letting it dwell in me. Don't settle for anything less than the absolute true source, Philip on supreme, Philip on the word of God. Um, the other thing is in Hebrews 4.12, it says the word of God is alive and powerful. It's not just a book. It's alive and powerful if you let it be. It says that it's sharper than the sharper, sharpest two-edged sword, 
cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You know what that tells me? God's word brings clarity. I need clarity in my life. I don't know about you, but I get confused on a lot of things. And I, like you, ask the question that I hear so often, how do I know that this is God and not me thinking that? You guys ever ask yourself that question? That's one of the most repeated questions I hear in the Christian churches. How do I know when it's really God? Well, God has given us a standard to measure all of those decisions and thoughts by, and it's called the Bible. It's called God's word. He speaks to us. And the more that you're in it, the more that you're filled up all the time, it begins to permeate everything that you do, and you just carry around this attitude in the mind of Christ, like it says in Scripture, where it's not like the one quick fix, where it's like, oh, I have a decision to make, and I haven't been with the Lord in a while. I better go and check it out in the Bible. Because it's, it's hard to have to always go and just look up the answer, but if you're in the Word all the time, you're suddenly just making the right decisions because you have the mind of Christ. You're filled up because you're asking for, for godly wisdom, and it's in you all the time. You may not be able to quote every verse, but the ideas, the thoughts, the heart behind what God wants for you, it comes out naturally. And suddenly when it's like, oh, I have a decision to make, I already know because I'm full of the word of God in my life. I know what answers to make. Does that make sense? So you stay full, like I said, in a, uh, in a car, that they don't want your gas tank to go below, below a quarter tank or something like that. And how many of you guys are always riding on E? You know, you get like a little thrill out of it, like, woo, see how far it can go, right? <laughs> Or you're just broke. Like when I was in high school, it's like I could throw in like $1.56 at a time, right? Because that's all you got. But, but technically, what's best for your car is they say keep it fairly full all the time because the, the car works better or whatever. It's the same thing with the word of God. One, the reason, one of the reasons you go to mini church and get with other Christians is it's like refill time. I heard the word on the weekend, and I'm in my devotions. I'm filling up. But you go to mini church, it's like you fill up again, and you learn how to apply it again to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Stay full of that stuff. Psalm 119, verses 5 through 16. Psalm 119 is an awesome psalm. It's a long psalm in scripture. But the whole focus of it is saying how important God's word is. God's word, his commands, his direction, his decrees, his regulations, his commandments, whatever you want to call it, the stuff that God is trying to say is best for your life, focus on that and you will be blessed. Look what it says. It says in verse 5, oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. It's another name for his word. It says, um, then I will not be ashamed when I compare my life with your commands as I learn your righteous regulations. I will thank you by living as I should. I will obey your decrees. Please don't give up on me. How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited aloud all of the regulations you've given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. The whole focus here the psalmist is saying is life works when I'm focused on your words, God when I'm focused on the stuff that you're trying to tell me. So it's just saying, get in your Bible, guys. Listen to pastors that preach from the word of God. Read books that reinforce and reiterate what you're learning from his word, from the Bible. Just be inundated in your life. Fill up on supreme. Your life will go better that way. Um, filling the tank will carry you longer. Stay filled at mini church. And I know it's costly. Let's not, let's not just make like it's so easy to be in the word of God all the time. It's a time commitment. It's a choice that you have to make to give up whatever's going on at home, to go to a mini church, to give up whatever you could be doing right now, you came here instead and you said, I need to fill up on God. 
it's, it's costly. You're giving up time. You're giving up part of your life. But it's like this. Uh, we, we heard this said in, in like a, a physical fitness camp. We were doing like a boot camp deal over here at the church. Me and Scott were talking about this the other day. That in, to have a healthy body, you don't just eat when you're hungry. You eat when you're not hungry because you see food as fuel. And if you want your body to, to, to operate the best it possibly can, is you're eating like four or five times a day because it keeps your body healthy, keeps your metabolism up, all of this stuff, is you eat when you're not even hungry just because it's fuel. And when we can see that I don't only turn to God and his word when I absolutely need him, I just stay full of it because that will keep me operating at peak performance levels. Is it takes a lot, it, it costs a lot to like make time for God's word. And sometimes, you know what? How many of you guys would agree with me that the stuff you hear in a sermon or read in the Bible, it's hard to hear sometimes. You don't like to hear it sometimes. Come on, let's be honest. Sometimes it's really convicting, right? You have all of your judgments and decisions and you, what you think about people and you're like, oh, that person. And then you hear something in a sermon or you read the word of God and it fully just convicts you. And, and it says the opposite of what you've been thinking and what you've been preaching. And you're like, ah, oh, I didn't really want to hear that this morning. Well, it's just like, ah, oh, I don't really want to pay the extra for supreme gas. It costs you something. But in the long run, it's so much better for your life. They, God's word might be hard to hear, but it's the best thing to hear in your life. It's absolutely the best thing. So there is a, a cost that's associated with it, but it's so worth it. And here's a, the last point that I have in your, in your notes. If you look, it says, it's not the thought that counts. How many of you guys have heard the opposite of that that just says, oh, it's the thought that counts? You guys ever said that one or use it before you hear it on you? You know what? Whoever created that one is just lazy. That's why they created that one. It's the thought that counts. Why? I don't really have to do anything, but I can tell you I was thinking about you, right? If I were to use that phrase in my marriage, oh boy. It's the thought that counts. Imagine, I married you, come on, that's enough. You should know that I'm always thinking about you. I don't need to help with the chores, or I don't need to take care of the kids. I don't need to tell you I love you. I don't need to buy you flowers from time to time because I'm thinking about you, babe. It's a thought that counts. I'm gonna go surfing, right? I would be in trouble, right? See, that phrase is overused and it's abused, right? It's a thought that counts. I think when it comes to God's word and Christianity, as well as relationships, it's not just the thought that counts. It's the action that goes with it, right? That's great that you're thinking of me. You know, I, I say this so often. I see people go through hard times or hurt or loss and they're grieving. And what do we say? Like, oh, my thoughts are with you. And they're like, thanks. You know, like, what does that do for me? At least pray for me. At least then God's doing something in, in my life or come over and cook me a meal or just come over and sit with me or give me a hug or something, do something. But just to say, hey, I'm thinking about you. It's like, wow. That, you know, I, I'm not trying to diss anybody because maybe we all just said that this week. Oh, I just told someone that this week. I'm not trying to be down. I say that too. But in the reality of it is, is that's great that you thought about me, but shouldn't that lead to actually doing something, showing your love? It's the same thing with Christianity. It's great that I read the word of God and I'm thinking about it and I walk out of here going, oh, that was a good message today. If I don't put it into practice, it actually did nothing in my life except entertain me for an hour and a half. Oh, that's cool, I went to church, I got entertained, now it's done, it's out, it's out of my system. We gotta put this stuff into practice. It's, it's gotta be more than just good thoughts and good intentions. Here's what good, good thoughts and good intentions get us. You guys have heard this quote, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? People who wanted to do better, they just didn't, right? There's another one just like it, it says, hell is full of good meanings, heaven is full of good works. Um, this is what I believe about scripture is, and of the word of God. Hearing should lead to doing, and knowing should lead to growing. 
It's not enough to hear it and to know it. You gotta put it into action in your life. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. But if you look carefully, verse 22, into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, oh, this is verse 25, sorry. If you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Plain and simple, he doesn't say he will bless you for knowing it. He will bless you for hearing it. He says he will bless you for doing it. There's, there's an expectation. James, the second chapter of James in verse 14, it says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, my thoughts are with you, <laughs> right? But then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds. Well, it's not an either-or thing. It says right here, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. See, we need both. It says in verse 19, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. And this is funny. Scripture says, good for you. Even the demons believe that. Like, oh, what? Wow. Why you got to be sarcastic for it, right? <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, it's just so funny. It's like, you say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God. Yeah, good for you. Even the demons believe this. And they tremble in terror. How foolish, can't you see, that faith without good deeds is useless? Faith and thoughts of God don't have any power unless there's proof unless there's proof in your life. You could say the Bible is a mighty book and it works for people's lives and God can change your lives, but if you're not living it, then how are you gonna prove that that's a true statement? It may sound good, it may look good on paper, it may warm your heart and make you feel good, but unless you act it out and put it into practice, it's not gonna change your life. It's not gonna bring that power that we need in our lives. Um, we gotta be more than just people that think about God or that just read the Bible and just take it in. It's gotta go into action. There's a singer and songwriter of Hillsong Church in Australia. And I was following his tweets and he, he wrote something the other day. He's, he's a songwriter, so he's all about taking what God gives him and turning it into songs to bless people and to change lives. And so he was writing something encouraging to other songwriters, I guess, and he wrote this in his tweet. He said, um, write more. Um, an unwritten song can't help anybody. Write more, an unwritten song can't help help anybody. You know what he's saying is, whatever you're getting from God, whatever you're reading in scripture, whatever knowledge you have here, put it into action, put it into practice. You will be blessed and it will bless other people around you. See, the whole thing about us living out the word of God, it's not just for us to be selfish with. Oh, it works in my life. Think of how many people in your life right now, in your school, at your job, in your own family are watching you and your example. They know you're a Christian and they expect that that's supposed to mean something. And when we put into practice what we're hearing, what we're, we're reading about, we're blessing our lives, but they're going, wow, it worked for them. Maybe it could work for me. You know what got my friends Lono and Jensi to this church to begin with? Was people were inviting them and they said, yeah, 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 maybe we need God, maybe we don't, maybe we need church, maybe we don't. But what they saw was the people inviting them, their lives had changed drastically that they started be being a better couple, loving each other more. They started giving godly advice. They started, their life was improving. They saw all the stuff they were writing on Facebook about how amazing their life is now. And they went, because of that life change we see in their life, 
we're gonna wanna get involved as well. And so we gotta understand that this, this being doers of the word, it's not just for us, it's for those around us that are looking for something and you actually have some answers right now, but an unwritten song, it doesn't help anybody. Um, so what are the changes going on in our lives? Can we see it? Because that's the question is like, if we're sitting here in church today, we could be someone that's just a hearer of the word and not a doer. The way we do it is to take inventory and look, am I getting any better? Is God changing my life? Because if he's not, then maybe I'm just sitting and receiving and I'm not actually in the game and I'm, not, I'm just kind of warming the bench. I want to be someone that's moving for God. Here's what Luke 6, 48 and 49 says in the message version. And there's a reason why I chose a message version because it says this so strong and powerful to me. Luke 6, 48 and 49. It says, it's talking about the word of God. If you work the words into your life, not just hear it, but you work them into your life, then you're like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and you don't work them into your life, you're like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. I don't want to be a dumb carpenter, right? If the Bible says dumb anything, I don't want to be on that list, right? It says don't be a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. Don't just use his words, speak the language, memorize the verses, spout them out like you think you're cool. If they're not affecting your life, means nothing. If you're not living it, if you're not working them into your life, I like how it says that, it means nothing. That's why we say mini church is more important than a Bible study. Because you're getting equipped, but you're getting equipped to actually live it out, right? We have this thing right here that says equipped to serve. It doesn't just say equip. It's not enough just to get equipped. It's like you actually have to use what you're getting equipped for. I know the word of God. I go to mini church. We talk about how we're living it out in each other's lives. Um, I wrote this little note to myself. I'm going to share it with you. Carl, don't just do Bible studies. Do Bible living. That's like a little reminder to me that it's not enough to have a mini church or a Bible study where we get in and we talk about the things of God and we study the word of God. I want to live the Bible. I don't want to just read the Bible. Amen? Because you're not a Christian if you read the Bible any more than you're a, a, a surfer because you read Surfer Magazine, right? Like my friend I talked about in the beginning of this thing. Just because you look the part and you read the stuff and you go along with the club, if you've never actually been in the water surfing, you can't really call yourself a surfer and get all the joy and everything that comes from that. Same with a Christian. And it's sad to say there's many of us that sit in church every week and it, even we read our Bibles. And that's good. That's a first step. But if you're not letting it sink in, it's not really blessing your life. It's not really changing anything. And it can't change anyone around you. And people are looking for that. They're looking for hope. So we've got to be changing our lives. Um, the Bible doesn't work if you just read it. It doesn't. It's a powerful book. But I, I know friends that are full-on atheists out there. And they told me, I read the Bible from cover to cover three times through. Didn't do a thing for them. Why? Because they didn't let any of it absorb and get into their life, and they didn't put anything into practice. So the Bible itself, as powerful as it is, if you just read it, it doesn't have that power. A sermon, as great of a pastor anyone could be, a preacher anyone could be, you listen to a sermon, you're like, wow, that's so good. That makes so much sense. It doesn't affect your life at all if all you did was hear it. I want to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Amen? Is that a good word this morning? We're going to end with that. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for your word. Lord, I think it's so cool that you didn't just come to this earth 2,000 years ago and live the life and tell us that you forgave us of our sins and told us how to live. But 
you actually left us with an instruction manual. I think that's cool. I think that's so good that we don't have to go looking and wondering and try to remember back what you said. It's all been written down and you've given us the instructions right there. Your decrees, your laws, your commandments, the stuff that's gonna bless our life. And Lord, the more we get into it, and not just read it, but Lord, work it into our lives. Bible living, not Bible studies, Lord, that's when the life change starts happening. Lord, that's when things start going right. That's when we start prospering. That's when we start being a light to this world and, and bringing answers to our own lives, but to our friends and our family around us. Lord, I pray that we would remember that it's not about a religion where we just study and know laws and stuff, but Lord, it's, it's so that we could know you personally and that you could move in our lives and change our lives in a good way. Um, Lord, I just thank you that you've given us your word. I pray that we would always be in it and we'd always be living it. 